Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Our text for this first midweek Advent service is from St. Luke, the first chapter, in which Luke writes, In the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a virgin betrothed to a man of the house of David, and he said to her, Be not afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. And shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. This angel tiding serves tonight as our servant text, dear friends in our Lord. Angels, they mystify us. They're no doubt among the fellow creatures of ours that we know least about, and yet perhaps the one creature we're most fascinated with. Proof? By the end of the year 1975, the book by famed evangelist Billy Graham, entitled Angels, had sold already 810,000 copies. Thing is, it was only released in October of that year. By January of of 1976, just four short months later, the number of the copies purchased by all of the angelically interested had then reached a million copies sold. It's believed to be the first time that that a best-selling book hit the one million mark in such a short four-month period of time. What is it about angels that so fascinates us? Is it their strength that impresses us? For as we'd think on the cherubim that guarded with flaming sword the entrance to paradise lost, we're reminded that we of ourselves are no match. Is it perhaps their nearness to the Almighty in the very realm of his glory that gives us pause? For there forever we're told, beholding the face of the Father, while daily interfacing and attending interfacing with, attending to mortals like you and me. No doubt their invariable goodwill toward us can't cease to amaze, for while some among their own race too, like us, fell fell from, like, like lightning from communion with God, it's not angels, is it, that he helped? It's not angels that prepare at this time each year to mark with special reflection and devotion God's incarnation, his enfleshment, It's not angelic nature, but human nature of the the Son of God that this very day sits enthroned on an everlasting throne, and yet there's no envy, is there? There's no jealousy, but only rejoicing among these angels in heaven when even one single human sinner repents. God's secret service agents, not protecting him, but given charge over us being saved, lest we strike our foot where God wouldn't permit it be struck. They're protectors and they're ministers unto our needs, and yet it's not these characteristics that give to angels their name. From the Greek word angelos, angel means simply messenger. And while angelic activity is never uncommon, Nowhere in Scripture is it more common to see angeloi, angels, delivering their messages than in the Advent months and days and minutes even. 
prior to the birth and the unveiling of mankind's Savior. Because angels so captivate us, sometimes we're guilty of losing Advent's message in Advent's messengers. This Advent season, we carefully consider Advent's angel tidings. Tidings unto Mary, an unassuming and unexpecting mother who would bear far more than a son. We'll consider the angelic word in a dream to her betrothed, Joseph, a husband-to-be torn with Advent's anxieties. We'll reflect finally on the last angelic Advent and first Christmas announcement to common shepherds greeted and treated in a most uncommon way. Advent's angel tidings delivered by angels but delivered unto us, men. And so tonight we consider our first of these Advent angel tidings. It's perhaps the most famous angelic communique in all of Scripture, Gabriel's Annunciation to Mary. Now throughout Scripture, angels aren't known for being very verbose or long-winded. They're straightforward, to the point. When Gabriel sent by God to the Galilean town of Nazareth to the virgin named Mary, this angel proves no exception. Gabriel minces no words. You'll conceive in your womb and bear a son. You'll call him Jesus. He'll be great, be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and of his reign and kingdom. There will be no end. Now, when we hear this text year after year, we hear this account, we we tend to recall the all things are possible aspect of the virgin birth, and we should. It's good that we do, we should. But highly important as the truth of Christ's virgin birth is, and it is, in preserving his sinless twofold nature, human and divine, both absolutely and essentially necessary for man's salvation. Yet it would seem here, as we look at the text, that had Mary not gotten stuck on that particular fact, the one that involved her so much, and inquired a bit more about it, it would seem that Gabriel wasn't planning on discussing it any further. What's highly noteworthy is all that that was said in this, this short announcement. Brief as the angelic message is, in the five sentences the angel initially speaks, What's noteworthy is that Gabriel takes such care to include all of this, that he will be great, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and of his reign, of his kingdom, there shall be no end. In five short sentences, that's a lot said, isn't it, about thrones and kingdoms and a king and David? While the inclusion of it all might surprise you and me, might puzzle us a bit, Gabriel's message, I tell you, is by Mary well-received, understood. Well, recall it wasn't who it would be that gave Mary such pause. It It was how this could be, since she said, I have no husband, I'm a virgin. But not who it would be. She understood and understood it well, because this language was so very familiar to her. You see, if 
pre-Christmas cards, if you will, had been exchanged in young Mary's day with, between Hebrew families awaiting the promised Christ. If these pre-Christmas cards would have been exchanged, most wouldn't have had notes in them like peace on earth. They wouldn't have had images like a manger silhouette with Bethlehem star overhead kneeling shepherds there, stable, grazing oxen. No, what they would have had is they would have had on them the image of one sitting again on David's throne. And they would have said, they would have read, the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. Why? It was a trademark promise. Known to all the Jews, a trademark promise of the Messiah who was to come. You heard it yourself just a few minutes ago, a few minutes ago, here from Second Samuel. To David it was said, the Lord will make you a house, a royal dynasty. And he says, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. So far, it sounds like it could be Solomon and those following after Solomon. But then God adds this, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And your house, David, and your kingdom and throne shall be established forever. That promise had the fingerprints of Messiah all over it. David was a great king, no doubt. After all, against all odds, he'd stormed and captured a mountaintop's citadel city of the Jebusites called Jerusalem and claimed it for God and for his own. By God's hand, he'd, he'd crushed the Philistines. He'd brought the Ark of the Covenant to rest again with God's people. David was great. And with son Solomon, his kingdom of greatness would be greater yet. But, but what had happened, but, but what had happened to this, this great earthly kingdom of David? David's own progeny, they warred over it, they fought over it. From kings to commoners, those of this kingdom rebelled against God. And so therefore the kingdom of David's earthly greatness became a curse, it became a, a shameful name. Taken away into Babylonian captivity, his, his throne had seen its earthly day. In fact, the very day Mary received the angel's news, Jerusalem, the crown jewel of David's greatness, the greatness of his kingdom, it was occupied, wasn't it, by Roman imperial forces. And Israel's king, Herod, well called, so called the great, he was a king far from the genuine Greatness, a puppet king, far from the genuine greatness that lingered in the distant memory of God's people. And so what these words of Gabriel must have meant, what they must have meant, they meant that God had not forgotten the oath that he swore. They meant that the long-expected Messiah king was nine months near to them. They meant that this virgin betrothed to one from the house of David. His virgin was about to bring forth the royal son of David that even David would call Lord. For the one greater than David, the, the one greater than Solomon, was finally here. But his eternal kingdom and his eternal throne would not be of this world. And his very name would suggest it.
Often, the names of kings, they tell us a bit about them. There's Richard the Lionhearted, William the Conqueror, Edward the Confessor, Charlemagne, Charles the Magnus, Charles the Great. There was the unfairly named Ethelred, the, the unready, Pepin the Short, there was Charles the Bald. These names tell us a bit about these kings. The name of Mary's royal son, chosen by God his own father, tells us worlds about him. And the otherworldly nature of his kingdom, he would be called Jesus, the angel said. It means Yahweh is salvation. For as the angel would tell Joseph, he will save his people from their sins. Punishing citizens for their crimes and their sins, that's part of the job description, I suppose, of the kings of this world, but saving people from their sins by putting their sins upon you, that's an oddly humble posture for the king of kings to take. But let's not forget something. He's David's son. And so like David before him, who was anointed king by Samuel while still such a commoner in Jesse's household, well before his royalty would be known by all, so too Mary's royal son would be publicly anointed God's chosen, while yet in such humble state. As David before him, so too Mary's son would be a shepherd from little and, and lowly Bethlehem. As his father David before him, so Mary's son would emerge He'd step forth to fight for us in surprisingly simple posture and with weapons at which the wisdom of this world and the mighty of this world would simply laugh. He'd step forth to face off against certain death. In our case, sin. A giant of an adversary that couldn't be defeated by man's might one which held all of his brothers captive in fear. But like with David's unimpressive and unexpected weapon of a sling, so David's greater son and Lord Jesus by the unprecedented weapon of a cross and of word and sacraments prove that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord God fights and saves. And like David before him would strike Goliath and then standing over him would draw the giant's own sword from his sheath and behead him. So David's greater son, Jesus Christ, by death, drawing from its sheath sin and death's greatest weapon. Christ, David's son, by his death would destroy death forever. David would rise to be great and sit upon the earthly throne that God had given him. But David's son, Jesus the Christ, he'd rise to be so much greater. Born a king, he lived as a servant, enduring the cross and our sin, scorning its shame, but has now sat down upon the eternal throne that had been waiting for him to claim it. And if you thought that, even in his finest hour, if you thought that there was security in being people of David's kingdom, 
How much more in being members by baptismal faith of the eternal kingdom of David's greater manger-born son. For David had power. With a king's word, he had power to forgive only earthly debts. But Jesus, with a word to forgive our sins, debts eternally, and he does it. David had the capability to protect his people only within the walls of a temporarily fortified Jerusalem. But Jesus, he's got the might and the resolve to shelter his own within the impregnable walls of the heavenly Jerusalem. And he will, as he does. David had the means to share the wealth of his kingdom with his kin until he no longer sat upon the throne, but for his kin. But for his kin, Jesus Christ reigns forever. And of his kingdom, and therefore yours, there shall be no end. Thanks be to God that the Advent angels, every word to Mary mild has been fulfilled. For the virgin-born, cross-bound king has begun his reign. In his name, amen.